Well, you know, I heard about this preacher and his wife who were looking for furniture. And they went to a furniture store and they were shopping on a Monday morning. And they found a beautiful dining room suite they just loved. But it was a little more pricey than they could afford. So finally the preacher turned to the salesman and said, you know, my wife and I really like this dining room suite. Do you think you could do a better price for on us for us because I'm just a poor preacher? The salesman said, yeah, I know. I heard you yesterday. <laughs> you know, as a preacher, you got to be careful what you say and how you say it. And uh, to that end, here it goes. Um, I've missed seeing a lot of you on Sunday evenings. I, uh, I certainly still expect you to come. This is your church. This is your opportunity to come under the sound of God's Word a second time on a Sunday. So uh, because so many have uh, not been here on Sunday evenings when I've covered these uh, promises that I'm making to God as your new pastor and promises I'm making to you, my loved family, I'm going to recap all 31. Hold on your seatbelts. We'll be quick. But I do want to see you on Sunday nights. We should have a lot more people on Sunday nights than we presently have. Make it a priority. Be wearing the shoes you want your children to fill. Thirty-one promises that I make to God first and foremost, but also to you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, as I become your new pastor. First promise, and I'm going to be moving through these quickly, so uh, fasten your seatbelts. I will shepherd you without duplicity. I will not be one way in public and another way in private. I will not be one way when I know people are watching, another way when no one's watching but God. I will shepherd you without hypocrisy. Psalm 78, verse 72, part A. So he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart. Second promise. I will guide you with biblical principles well-interpreted and well-applied. That's the second part of Psalm 78, verse 72. And guided them with skillful hands. The only way that I can guide you as a people with skillful hands in the sight of God is if I do it according to his word with integrity of heart. And that's my promise. Third, I will work hard as your pastor. 2 Timothy 2.6, the hardworking farmer ought to be first to receive his share of the crops. It is assumed wherever there are farmers in the world, they work hard, very hard. I like to say if you have food on the table and you like to eat, you should thank the good Lord and then you should also thank a farmer. Hardworking farmers. I want to be a hardworking pastor. Fourth promise. I will be globally... Minded, I will not have blinders on as your pastor just for the Bahamas, just for the Western Hemisphere, but I will want to be global in my heart to pray for the world and to help you keep the world's need for Christ before you constantly. We are blessed with so many missionaries that are taking the gospel domestically and foreignly, and we want to remember them and give to them and pray for them and encourage them. I'll be globally minded. Great Commission, Jesus' words. We want to give Jesus' last words before ascension first priority. Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, of all the nations, ethnos, people groups, 
not just geographical bounded countries like the Bahamas or Chile or Germany, but the ethne, the people groups of the world. Go and make disciples of all the people groups of the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Uh, We are to do one thing until Christ returns as a church. We are to make disciples. Three ways to do it. We go, we baptize, and we teach. But the one thing we're left to do is to make disciples of all the people groups of planet Earth. I will be globally minded. Fifth promise. I will personally and publicly evangelize without embarrassment. Evangelizing is saying there's one way to heaven. Maybe this is what you need to hear this morning. You have religion up to your ears. You have reasons for being here perhaps that are other than worship, other than giving honor to Christ. could be anything. But I will be an evangelist in this pulpit, and outside this pulpit, I will tell people there's only one way to heaven for rebels like me and you. It's the finished work of a loving Savior on a cross and shedding his blood. When we transfer our trust from anyone or anything other than Jesus and his finished work, we transfer our trust over to Christ and only Christ. God says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe on Jesus' name. John 1.12. Make that your personal decision of faith if you've never done it before. I will personally and publicly evangelize without embarrassment. 2 Timothy 1.8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. I will personally and publicly evangelize without embarrassment and without fearing rejection without fearing rejection. I will spend intentional time with lost people. I have interests, like all of you in life, gardening, swimming, sports, history, yard sailing, thrift store shopping, astronomy. I have all kinds of interests, and I'm going to seek to prayerfully find lost people who have these interests and I'm going to try to walk across bridges into their lives for the sake of the gospel. Become their friend, their genuine friend, that I could earn a hearing to tell them the way of salvation is through Christ. By the way, I'm going through these promises, not just because so many of you missed all of them in the evenings. I'm going through these promises, and you have a half sheet of paper which has all the promises on it, so that you'll pray for me. This is a supernatural commitment that I can't keep in my own strength. I want you to pray these promises that God will keep me to these promises and I will live these promises. And I'm also giving these promises because virtually all of these promises would be germane and appropriate for you to decide to make to God yourselves as Christians. I will personally and publicly evangelize without embarrassment and without the fear of rejection. I'm going to walk across bridges to lost people. I'm going to spend time with lost people. Much as I love all of you, and I want to spend time with all of you, I'm also going to carve out time to spend time with lost people. Jesus expects me to do that. But you, 2 Timothy 4, 5, but you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Implication being, if a pastor doesn't do the work of evangelism, he hasn't fully fulfilled his ministry from God. I don't want to be that kind of a pastor. 
Number six, I promise I will preach and teach correct doctrine, whether it's popular or not. 2 Timothy 1, verse 13, retain the standard of sound words which you've heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. I am to retain the sound doctrine that I see in the Bible in my personal life and in my preaching life and my counseling life with you. Retain the sound words which you've heard from me, Paul said, in, in the faith and in love which are in Christ Jesus. Still with this promise, I will preach and teach correct doctrine, whether it's popular or not. First Timothy 1, 19, part, part of the verse. Keeping faith and a good conscience. Or Acts 20, 18 to 21 and verse 27. Seen as Paul's saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders, many worked heart to heart with, shoulder to shoulder with, in planting the church, seeing that church grow from a baby church to being a thriving, healthy church. And he knew that he wasn't going to see these spiritual men he had uh, shared leadership, servant leadership with in the church at Ephesus. So he called them to a beach. And he met with them on a beach. And he said this. When they come to him, he said to them, you yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying both the Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And here he says it a second time to them. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God by being a verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book expositor preacher. I'm going to seek to preach to you the whole purpose of God is found in his word. I'm not going to skip difficult topics. I'm not going to dance around things that people don't want to hear. I'm going to give you the whole purpose of God as he gives me strength and ability and time to preach his word, precept upon precept. I won't shrink back. I'll preach and teach correct doctrine, whether it's popular or not. Seventh promise, I will carefully monitor my own life and my own beliefs. First Timothy 4.16, keep a close watch on yourself. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing this, you will save both yourself and your hearers, not save from sin, of course, only Jesus can do that. But when a pastor is careful to watch himself, his life, and his teaching, then he can deliver himself from pitfalls and temptations, falling into temptations, and he can help his people that he loves do the same. I can remember that I have men that I know and love to this day who I've prayed with as pastors, who I've cried with as pastors, who I've laughed with as pastors, who aren't in the ministry anymore because they didn't keep a careful watch on their own lives. One ran away in adultery with his secretary at the church. It's easy if we don't keep a careful watch in a quiet time with God, personally, quietly, humbly, dependently, to fall off the rails. Promise 8. I will work to multiply myself, 2 Timothy 2.2. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who are able to teach others also. 2 Timothy was the last letter that the Spirit of God gave to the Apostle Paul to write before he was beheaded. Two weeks before being beheaded, the Spirit of God moved Paul to write 2 Timothy. 
So you know what he said in the Spirit, what he wrote in the Spirit was essential. Last words, he knew he was going to be executed, and he gave this young, nervous pastor, Timothy, with stomach problems. He gave this book of 2 Timothy to him. And basically, Paul says before he's beheaded, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I want to do that. You can't see a long line of men and women in my past who've passed the baton of truth to me down the line. Each one faithful to make that pass off of the truth, of doctrine, of character, of Scripture. And they've passed the baton down, 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 and then to me. It's my responsibility and privilege to take that baton that was passed to me by all those faithful men and women and pass it on to faithful people who in turn will pass it on to their children, to their grandchildren, to their spiritual children, the converts to Christ, that they will have the privilege of leading to the Savior. And there's this huge chain of a baton relay race that I want to acknowledge my place in and I want to commit the truth that's been committed to me I want to commit the truth to others. I want to multiply myself in that regard. Number nine, I promise I will expect hardships as your pastor, and I will push through them. 1 Timothy 1, 18-20, This I command you, I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them, watch now, you fight the good fight. Pastoring is a fight. It's a fight with my own flesh. It's a fight with Satan. It's a fight with this world system that cheerfully leaves Jesus Christ completely out. Pastoring is a fight. But do you know what? So is Christian living for a person who's not a pastor. It's a fight. It's not a country club. It's not a beach club. It's a fight. And I promise that you all expect hardships in the fight and I'll push through them. I think of the second church I pastored. We were looking to take some of the Lord's money and to invest it in a sound investment so it could gain interest. And this man named, I won't name him, this is live-streamed around the world. This man, professing Christian man, financial consultant, came to our board of leadership at our church and talked about the sum of money we could potentially invest with him. He told us where he would invest it, what kind of return we could expect. And we signed the papers and gave the Lord's money to this financial man to invest on behalf of our church. He absconded with tens of thousands of dollars. It's hardship. Expect hardship. I expect hardship. But I'm going to press through it for God's glory. Of course, <laughs> the, the pastor isn't just hardship. There's a lot of funny things that happen. Uh, the first church I pastored, we had a children's church time, and the children all came to the front, and it, people took turns giving them a little story. And uh, this one Sunday, I'll never forget, this uh, African-American brother um, stood before them and was talking, among other things, about his dark skin. And he said to these little children, he said, you know, uh, my ancestors in Africa had to live in the sun all the time, and God gave them my ancestors' uh, dark skin. And little Vanessa's hand went up, and he acknowledged it, and she said, Nowadays, God gives us sunblock. (laughs) 
So it's not just hardship. There's a lot of fun as well, and we thank the Lord for those moments too. And the, But under this expecting hardships and pushing through them, 1 Timothy 1, uh, 18 to 20, going on, This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies made previously concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan so that they may be taught not to blaspheme. If we do not push through in our hardships of our Christian living, in God's strength and for God's glory, we can become shipwrecked. Useless to the master captain of our souls. Tenth promise. I will first follow orders from my commander. 2 Timothy 2, verse 4. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. I never want to lose sight of the fact that I'm your pastor because Jesus is my Savior and Lord. And the Word of God is more necessary to me than my necessary food. And so I will take orders first from my commander Jesus and not from anyone on a human level. Not that I won't listen to people. I'd be a fool not to listen to people. But I will take my orders first from my commander. Galatians 1.10 speaks of the same thing. For, I, for am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Implication here is that sometimes what men want you to do is contrary to what God wants you to do. Sometimes what men and women want you to do as their pastor doesn't line up with the scriptures. And if there's a choice to make, it's a no-brainer. You've got to go with God and his word. Galatians 1.10, for I am, am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still striving to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. You can't be a bondservant of Christ and take your first and weightiest orders from people. It doesn't work. A bondservant, you remember, I've taught you already, that a bondservant was a special category of indentured slave in the economy of the Old Testament. The Jewish person could have slaves, but those slaves were to be freed every seventh year. Every Jewish person who had a slave was by law to set that slave free on the seventh year. But the slave could make a choice when released at the beginning of the seventh year. The slave could go to the master and say, I don't want to be released. I want to be your slave for the rest of my life. That's a bondservant. The only way, of course, that a slave would make that kind of a decision was they believed there was no finer a master, no more fair a master, no more decent a master, no more wise a master than the master they had. And they voluntarily would become a bond slave. And the way they marked that was they took their earlobe to a piece of wood, excuse me, and they would take an awl, a carpenter's tool, and they would puncture on the earlobe of a slave to indicate he's not just a slave, he's chosen to be a bond slave. The normal Christian life church is to choose to be a bond slave of Christ. He says jump, we say how high. He says go there, we go there, without argument or debate or delay. 
A bond servant slave of Christ is the normal Christian life. And you can't know fulfillment and the abundant life that Jesus Christ has promised you. John 10.10, I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. You cannot know that abundant life, Christian, if you hold back on the decision to be a bond servant or slave of Christ. You never made that decision. You could just say, I want to do what you wanted me to do, when you want me to do it, where you want me to do it. I'm a blank check, Savior. Fill me out and spend my life the way you wish. Because I'm no longer my own. I've been bought with a price. I want to glorify you with my body. So, tenth promise to recap, I will first follow orders from my commanders. Eleventh promise, I will not call you to a standard of holiness which I personally skip. 1 Timothy 1.19b, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and have suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. When this promise as a leader, speaker, preacher, pastor is not kept, this promise that I will not call you to a standard of holiness, which I personally skip, when preachers do call their people to a standard of holiness that they themselves think they're free from, that's when you get shipwrecked. Promise Keepers Pastors Conference 1996, the Atlanta Georgia Dome, full of ordained pastors from all over the world. The speaker said that a study was done of a 100 seminarians who graduated together from a major seminary, evangelical seminary. Only four of the 100 finished well pastoring God's people. Four. I will not call you to a standard of holiness which I personally skip. 2 Timothy 2.5 and 21-22. to Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does, he does not to win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. The standard of holiness the Scriptures lay out for every believer, the man in the pulpit and the people in the pew, is what will help us to compete according to the rules as an athlete in the race of the Christian life. We'll be a vessel for God's honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work if we allow ourselves to be called to this standard of holiness and take it seriously. No sweethearting. It's from the pit. Twelfth promise. I will lead you by serving you. I will lead you by serving you. Mark 10, 42 to 45, calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, you know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus Christ is the supreme servant, and so I will seek to serve, lead you rather, under his leadership by serving you and serving our community and serving our country as the Lord gives me opportunity. You know the difference between a servant 
and a laborer, a laborer watches the clock. And when it's time to go home, laborer goes home. The servant doesn't watch the clock and stays until the master's work is done. Dawson Trotman, who founded the parachurch organization called the Navigators, a ministry dedicated to discipling people and scripture memorization. He was on a radio phone-in show, and the caller asked, Mr. Trotman, how do you know if you're a servant? He said, by how you respond when someone treats you like one. Dawson Trotman practiced what he preached. He drowned in Scroon Lake in upstate New York at the Word of Life campus, saving a woman who couldn't swim. He jumped. He was a strong swimmer. He was a lifeguard. He jumped into the lake to save her life. In her panic, she drowned him. I want to lead you under Christ's leadership of me by serving you, not lording it over you. Promise 13, I will strive to be gentle and humble in times of correcting you. 2 Timothy 2, 24 to 26, the Lord's bondservant, there it is, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, be able to teach, patient when wrong, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Promise 14, I will work in concert, harmony, with the other Calvary Bible Church pastors, nine of them. Titus 1.5, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city I, as I directed you. Paul wrote to a young pastor on Crete and said, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint, watch it, appoint elders, plural, elders in every city. Every local church has, should have a multiplicity of elders. This church is one of her strengths. Ten pastors, ten elders. This is a strength of the incredible body of Christ, Calvary Bible. I will work in concert and harmony with the other pastors of this great church. Fifteenth promise, I will preach the word. 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that, result, the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. You want to be adequate and equipped to serve Jesus? Good. I want that for you too. That requires you hearing the preached word of God, not a sermonette for Christianettes, a preached expository word of God. I'm promising you I'll do that. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching. That is, this is God's right path. For reproving, that is, hey, you're off God's right path. For correction, here's how to get back onto God's right path. And for training in righteousness, these things will keep you on God's right path. I want to have that kind of a ministry. 16, I will be accountable to other men. Proverbs 17 verse, or Proverbs 27 verse 17. Iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another. You know, do you have anybody in your life, ladies, do you have a lady in your life 
who's just a little further down the road, the spiritual road than you are, that you can rub lives together regularly. Pray for each other. Be open with each other. Men, do you have a man in your life you're accountable to and he's accountable to you? You need that. Your spouse is a wonderful person if they know and love Jesus. Wonderful. But do you have someone other than your spouse of your gender? I want to have that in my life. Men in my life that know me that love me, and I know them, and I love them. Iron sharpens iron. I'll be accountable to other men. 17, I will seek to resolve any charge against me in a Christ-honoring way and for the glory of God. 1 Timothy 3, verse 2a. An overseer, then, must be above reproach. The definition of being above reproach is to have no unresolved accusation against you. In my course of close to 30 years of ministering, there have been accusations people bring for a multitude of motives. When they're spurious, when they're not accurate, when they're lies, I want to resolve that. I have to resolve that to be above reproach. Another example of being above reproach is when I visit a woman in her home, as we did this week. I never go alone. I either take my wife or I take one of the pastors of our church. Pastor Tommy Aubrey and I visited a young wife who was needing encouragement in her home this week. I'm going to be above reproach for the glory of Christ. 18, I will work on my marriage and will see it as being lifelong. It says in 1 Timothy 3, 2b, that the overseer should be the husband of one wife. In the Greek, it means a one-woman kind of man. I want to be a one-woman kind of man. I want my wife to know that. I want my children to know that. And I want you to know that. It brings me to my wedding ring. I'm still missing my wedding ring. I had an insect bite or something bit me in the sea. And my thing is still too swollen to put it on. I'm still going to get my ring repaired. Someone in the church has very kindly offered to do that for me. But I wear a wedding ring normally. to uh, remind me that I'm married to Beth and to remind all the women I meet that I'm married to Beth. <laughs> oh, yeah. Billy Graham. Billy Graham had a practice that he never drove in a car alone with a woman that wasn't Ruth, his wife. Yeah. He had a policy that when they went on the road for crusades and they had hotel rooms, the Cliff Barrows and George Beverly Shea and the other men that were on his team, they all had hotel rooms that were beside each other. To be above reproach. One uh, time in ministry, of course, the devil hated what Billy Graham did. Uh, preached the word and invited sinners to salvation in Christ. And this is a true story. That at one occasion, Dr. Graham was in his hotel room and um, not came to his door. And uh, here was a prostitute, a known prostitute in the city and a newspaper photographer uh, to set him up. And so she lunged at him to embrace him to get this picture, this slanderous, libelous picture. And Dr. Graham saw what was happening right away and he stepped back and went like this. I will work in my marriage and will see it as being lifelong. 18, that's 18. 19, I will not be given to extremes. In 1 Timothy 3, 2, the third part of that little verse, it says temperate. 
for a pastor or for a Christian to be temperate means there's not given to extremes. One day they blow an extreme this way, and the next day they blow the opposite extreme. I don't want that. I want to be steady. I want to be biblical. I want to be consistent. I won't be given to extremes. Number 20, I will measure my words and my actions. Uh, I will measure my words and my actions. That is, it says in 1 Timothy 3, still in verse 2, I'll be respectable. I'll measure my words and my actions. Do you know why I'll measure my words and my actions? Because every moment of every day, people are measuring me and you. Every moment of every day, people are measuring us. We had best be allowing the Spirit of God to measure our own words and actions. Amen? Amen. 21. I will conduct myself in such a way that I respect and I bring respect to my Lord and Savior, to my wife and children, to all of you, my fantastic church family. I will conduct myself in such a way that I respect and I bring respect to my Lord and Savior, my wife and children, and all of you, my church flock. And I realize that I constantly represent Jesus Christ. I realize that I constantly represent all of you. And I realize that I take Jesus Christ with me wherever I go. And I realize that I take each of you wherever I go. That's the way it works as a pastor. That's the way it works. I will seek to be, as 1 Timothy 3.2e says, respectable. 22. Beth and I will invite people into that beautiful parsonage, that yellow parsonage you saw on the slide, to show them the love of Jesus. Jesus' house, operated and maintained beautifully by the Calvary Bible Church, but we're going to invite people into that house to show them the love of Jesus. 1 Timothy 3, 2f, the overseer is to be hospitable. 23, I promise you I will not drink alcohol. 1 Timothy 3, verse 3a, the overseer is not to be addicted to wine. Uh, one of the best ways never to be addicted to wine is not to drink wine. Notice that? I will not drink alcohol. Because one of the things we see in Scripture, in the Old and the New Testaments, is what the mature believer approves in moderation. People that follow that leader with less than proper biblical maturity will approve in excess. What you may approve in moderation, someone watching you may approve in excess. 24. I will not win an argument to lose a person who has a soul. I will not win an argument to lose a person who has a soul. 1 Timothy 3, verse 3b, the overseer is not to be pugnacious. That's a good word, pugnacious, looking for a fight, wanting to win at all costs. The overseer is not to be pugnacious, but gentle and peaceable. I think of a funny thing that happened. First church I pastored, there was a lad, maybe 10 years old. He was brought to church every Sunday by loving neighbors because his parents had no interest in the church. And this loving neighbor would bring Mason every Sunday morning to church. And Mason would not sit with anybody. He would sit right where Beth is in the front pew, right under my nose, by himself every Sunday. And this one Sunday I was teaching and preaching away, and I said, So, 
What have we learned so far? To which Mason said, Not a thing! <laughs> the place came unglued. So I let the people laugh. I said, Mason, at your age, I don't expect you to know what a rhetorical question is. But a rhetorical question is a question someone asks not expecting any answer. But I'll tell you something. Your pastor will never ask that question again in the middle of a sermon. <laughs> so, you know, I didn't get pugnacious with the lad, embarrass him in front of all the congregation, and scold him. I just tried to um, not lose him as a person with a soul, knowing he'd be back next week, seated right where he was every week. And I wanted him to know that I love him, and I'm not going to embarrass him, and I want him to hear the word of God and receive it. I'm not going to be pugnacious. 25, I will not let money or what money can buy become an idol to me. It says in 1 Timothy 3, verse 3, the overseer should be free from the love of money. Uh, the love of money is the root of all evil. Money is not the root of all evil. It's the love of money that is the root of all evil. And so another way to say that, uh, it's not how much money you have. It's how much of you your money has. Billy Graham said before internet banking, show me a believer's checkbook and I'll know their spiritual temperature. I will not let money or what money can buy become an idol. 26. I will work to servant lead my wife and children to be Christ-like, self-controlled, and respectable. 1 Timothy 3.4. He, the overseer, must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. Uh, the Greek word translated children is technoi. This is the word for less than fully mature adult children. A technoi, a technos, is a child still under your roof. And the way I define it in our culture for our day is you are a technos, a less than fully mature adult child, if you have, um, you are a technos, if you don't have your own place to live, your own job to support your needs, and your own local church that you've chosen to plug into. The person, no matter what their age, if they, if they do not have their own place to live, a job to support them in their needs, and a church they've selected on their own, not their parents' choice necessarily, then you are a less than fully grown adult, and you are to obey your parents. Ephesians 6.1. So here, uh, technoi is used in the context of 1 Timothy 3, 4. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. Another funny story. I was at a pastor's luncheon years ago in Canada, and it, it, was, it was a little dull, to be honest with you. We were having lunch. It was kind of boring. So I, I turned to the table. I said... Um, What's the, what's the uh, funniest thing that's happened to you in the ministry? Well, then, then it got, wasn't boring. It was pretty good. Uh, and this pastor says, well, I have a special needs son. And this one uh, Sunday morning, I, the service was going along just fine. 
And uh, it was time for me to get in the pulpit to preach God's word. So I opened my Bible, I put it in the pulpit, and Kevin in the back row said, Closing him, Dad! I said, well, what did you do? I said, turning in your hymn books to 335, standing together to sing. Because, you know, the people were, were too far out there. They were hard to bring back. And he was showing uh, deference to a special needs son. He meant no disrespect. 27, I will interact with the lost so as to bring honor to my Savior. 1 Timothy 3, 7, and he must have a good reputation with those outside of the church so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. I want to have a good reputation with people who aren't yet part of this church, aren't yet saved even. I want that. 28, I will strive to be self-disciplined. 1 Timothy 4, 7, and 8. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Implication being, no one else will discipline you if you don't discipline yourself. You start with disciplining yourself, being careful in how you spend time, what you think about, what you say, what you do. On the other hand, 1 Timothy 4, 7, and 8. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds the promise for the present life and also for the life to come. 29, we're almost there. I will pray. I promise you that I will pray. I will pray for all of you. I will pray for our church's ministries. I will pray for our church's missionaries. I will pray for lost people. I will pray for the Bahamas. I will pray for the government and the people of the Bahamas. I will pray. Acts 6.4. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The situation was in the fledging baby church, the toddler church, the elders who were responsible for the ministry of God's word and the prayer intercession for God's people were being crowded out of those priority ministries by needing to wait tables for the Hellenistic Jews. These widows needed to be cared for. That was not the point. The point was that someone else should care for those Hellenistic widows so that the elders of the fledging church could give themselves to the scriptures and to praying for the people. Prayer is important to a spiritual leader. I will pray. 1 Thessalonians 1, 1-4 Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for you, always for you, making mention of you in our prayers. He said, I always pray for you Thessalonian Christians. Constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. I will say that typically when I will give myself to intercessory prayer in a block of time will be in the mornings. When I come into the office uh, in the mornings, uh, Monday through Thursday, I'll be giving time to intercessory prayer. So if you phone and it's not an emergency, I'm going to ask Mrs. Aubrey to take a message. If you come to see me without an appointment, it's not an emergency, I'm going to ask you to wait until I finish praying. Uh, prayer is a significant part of any pastor's ministry, and I need time to intentionally do that, and I thank you for helping me to that end. I will pray. 30, second last promise. I will agape love you, realizing that you are 
the good shepherd's precious sheep. There was a man in the church I last pastored that was, um, how shall I say it? He was um, hard to get close to, um, and some believers didn't try hard to get close to him, which was wrong. But he brought me a gift that touched me. He brought me a pen and ink drawing of a shepherd holding a lamb in the crook of his elbow, looking at that lamb with a loving, attentive look. And it means a lot to me. Uh, it makes me cry when I think about it. Because God has given me the incredible privilege and responsibility of loving you as the good shepherd Jesus' sheep. Each one of you is Jesus' sheep if you're saved. And I have the responsibility and the privilege of holding you, helping you, feeding you, praying for you, guiding you, being an example for you. But then what really makes me cry is that then I think about it that I'm a lamb too. And Jesus is holding me. Part of the way that I acknowledge that you are precious sheep, lammies of the shepherd, is that I make time to pray for you. You have prayer requests, please let me know what they are. Still with this uh, promise of prayer, Philippians 1, 3-8, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of the, your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart. Since both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers of grace with me. And for God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. How is it that a pastor longs for the sheep in the fold by praying for them? It is by praying for you that I will be knit together in love for you. And I promise to pray for you. 31 and last promise. I will let you love me. Sounds odd. I will let you love me. My experience is that there are some pastors who are too proud and self-sufficient to let the flock love them. They keep their distance from God's people for their own motivations. I don't want to be that kind of pastor. I want to let you Love me and my family, and boy, have you shown us love already. Thank you so much. I will let you love me. Philippians 2, 17 and 18. Paul's in prison when he wrote this. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. He's in that damp, dark dusty prison. He senses the Philippians love him and have joy in the Lord. He says, give me some of your joy. I need it. I accept it. Not that I speak from want, Paul wrote, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances uh, I, I am. 
I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. Paul said, you've done well to share with me in my affliction. I need you. I need your love. You have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves know, Philippians, that, in the, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. I promise you I will let you love me and my family. We need that, and we so appreciate that. Now, my request would be that you take that half sheet of paper and you'd keep it in your Bible or somewhere that you could reference it regularly and pray for me for these things. Please, please pray for me to keep these promises. And my other prayer for you is that you would prayerfully go through that list of 31 promises I am making to see which promises you should make to God, that you want to make to God. I encourage you to do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, but for the grace of God, there go any one of us into sin. We thank you for the means of grace you've afforded us, the finished work of the Savior on the cross, the indwelling Holy Spirit, the family of God, the body of Christ, the church. Thank you, Lord, for leading me to consider your word and the promises I ought to make to you first and foremost, and the promises I also make to my brothers and sisters in Christ at the Calvary Bible Church, Nassau. I pray that my brothers and sisters would uh, make the choice to make some of these promises for their own lives and for the sake of their own families and marriages and witnessing and testimony. Lord, thank you that you're the fundamental, perfect promise keeper and that we can know a consistency in keeping promises made to you as we rely on the Spirit, as we keep our hearts and eyes in your book, the Bible, and as we are accountable to other believers. Lord, may that be the case for this precious body of believers. And we pray this all for the glory of your name, Lord, and God's people said, Amen.